Explore One Day is Thursday, January 4th, 2024. And this is the week in charts. I just want to thank all you guys and girls for attending tonight. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. So we're going to talk about, well, current market conditions. Obviously, I have a lot to say about that. Your questions on trading, your favorite stock and crypto picks. Hold off on those until we get to the live charts. And if you don't mind, one ticket at a time, just so I know which ones I've covered and which ones I haven't. So tonight I want to talk, or focus, I should say, on things that I wish somebody would have told me 20-something years ago. And, and I kind of touched upon those 20 things last week. And over the week, I got to thinking about it. There's a lot more than 20. So as they come to me, I'm going to start uh, fleshing them out a little bit. And we'll come back and revisit some of these things once we get them all done. Uh, I do want to talk about the methodology in action. Uh, a couple of things I want to show you this week. I want to show you a hot IPO that me and some of my Facebook peeps played, which I thought was really cool. And I want to talk a little bit about dead money in crypto and talk about how the relative strength game sort of makes you want to play the dead money game or get out of dead money positions. And that'll make a lot of sense in just one second. And then, of course, we'll pop into the crypto live charts after all it's done. And then we'll get to the live charts and stocks. If you need to reach me, here's a plethora of ways to get in touch with me. I guess for my email, it should be daylander.com slash contact. And there's my Twitter and TikTok and X and all those other things. This is claim screen. As you know, you can lose money trading. Or as often to sum it up, all predictions are about the future. And a lot of stuff can happen between now and then. I borrowed that from my buddy Greg Morris. All right, let's talk about the mystery charts and the methodology in action. By the way, this is a segment that I started back when I was doing the trading Simplified shows which I no longer do, but that has freed me up to do more appearances with stock charts, such as the Daily Five, which I have uh, one or two of those shows coming up soon. All right, so this is a setup that I had coming into today. And by the way, as I was putting a chart together, I remembered that just yesterday, I played this opening gap reversal, and that, that should have been an example in and of itself. So you've got a, a stock in a very strong uptrend, a very persistent uptrend, and it's also accelerating in its uptrend. And then you have this gap down, but it quickly it was quickly followed by a reversal. So I did play this yesterday, and I was out of it by the end of the day, and then looked at the chart and said, you know, this looks pretty darn good. So I put it in my trading service, and I traded it along with my peeps. But you can see it's in a serious uptrend. Notice that the lows are greater than the 30 EMA. That's Landry Light. You could use your favorite EMA with uh, longer-term charts. Sometimes I'll use, like, the 50 simple with the TFM 10% system. If you go in and watched the last week of charts, which was two weeks ago, we talked a lot about that. I figured we've talked about it so much, I'd take a break this week. But anyway, you could see nice Landry light with the 30 EMA. 30 EMA is my favorite EMA to use now. I know you want to party with me. But anyway, nice little pullback there, kind of textbook in nature. Opening got reversal again yesterday. And then today, the entry was here, the stop was down here, and the initial profit target was up here. And once it triggered, the stop was bumped up a little bit. And I need to check the math on that, but I will put these, I will update the archives fairly soon. If you go to davidlander.com slash archives, you can check all these out. I know for a fact the entry was 25. I forget exactly where the stop was. I didn't think it was 10 points away, but it might have been. This stock does call for a very wide range. All right, so... I have a Facebook group and it's members only. You have to be a gold member at least of DaveLander.com. And 
I get a lot out of the group, and I know a lot of you guys and girls do too. Sometimes it goes quiet, as all groups groups do, of course, and sometimes a little hyperactivity. Uh, it's kind of just the opposite, but for the most part, it's a, it's a fantastic group. It's it's one of the best things I've ever done, as far as my trading business is concerned, and not so much just for the business aspect, but more so for the me getting to interact, me getting to interact with all the other traders, the traders interacting amongst themselves and it's just really been a, a great thing as my wife has said before it's probably the best thing i've done business-wise at least just because psychologically it just i'm always talking about it and i'm such a nerd but anyway so uh, in december i put out a, a a notice that crgx was a buy at d we do talk a lot about ipos uh, john ross as you can see right here he's uh he's here tonight he's our resident guru on ipos I think John took my IPO course a few years ago, and he's taken that ball and, and ran with it or run with it. I always get those confused, but maybe somebody could correct me in the YouTube comments. I'm willing to learn. English is uh, not my first language. <laughs> okay, so it was a seven-point stop on the Myra. So it should have been uh, entry at, at 25, stop at 18, and then we bumped that stop up one point because it moved the point and change in our favor, point 27, I think. All right, let's take a look at this CRGX. It's a great little example of a buy D with some caveats. So you see it comes public. That's day one. This is day two, day three, day four, and day five. So on day five, we know that day one set the high for the week. Now, the normal buy B would be to look at the closing high which was on day four okay and any close above that now obviously you don't know where it's going to close but if it's well above that entry and the stock's getting ready to close then you know okay i need to go ahead and get in on this particular particular stock in this case obviously it was pretty close it was i'm, I'm sorry it was well in excess of 1510 which would have been your entry on that now keep in mind this is a normal buy at b it's one of the simplest things I've ever come up with, and I'm amazed at how well it works. And it's just something that uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about. And it, it's it's held the test of time so far. Sometimes you come up with something, and then it just doesn't really work in real markets longer term. But I did my due diligence on this pattern for a long time, and then I released it, and it's worked out really nicely so far. Knock on wood. Anyway, because day one set the high for the week. So if day two, day three, or day four would have taken out that high, then that would have been the high for the week, okay? But you can see we got all the way to day five, and that high was not taken out. And I'm just kind of thinking about this. I guess if it gets taken out, yeah, even on day five, it would, it, it would have to close above this high to be an entry. So here's the day one rule buy. Again, on the close, and you could maybe buy a little bit earlier in the day if it looks like it's going to close at that level or, or above. And that would be, in this case, 1575, 1580-ish, somewhere around that area. But anyway, if day one is the highest for the week, I guess up until block forward. It's funny, as you, as I teach these things, I flesh them out more and more. So I guess it would have to be, if, if day one is the high for the first four days, then then day one rule is in effect. And I'll noodle with that a little bit to make sure that's 
absolutely correct, but I think that's how we're we're trading. And it's interesting. Something as simple as this, once you start picking it apart, you, it it, it uh, questions begin to arise. Anyway, here's the trades. I just grabbed these uh, out of one account because I had a round number of shares, one thousand shares in this particular case. So here's here was my buy at B. And you can see it didn't do too well at first. I did give it a couple of points of wiggle room on the stop. Now I'm not sure what happened on that day, and I went back to the fourth and I noticed my trading journal. I did not mark why I bought 50 more shares of this. I have no idea. If memory serves, it, that gap looked pretty good. It looks like it was a keep on keeping on, and I I, I just threw in 50 shares. I don't know why. It, it, why just 50 shares of, of a $17 stock? I have no idea. So that's just kind of like S and G. Maybe I was going to flip it out for a quick little day trade or something. I don't know. It was kind of a, a stupid trade. So I'm just kind of showing you what happens worse at all. That's one thing I thought about when I was going live tonight or right before I went live is uh, the more and more transparent I become with trades and stuff that I'm doing and all, the more I sort of show you that I don't do everything perfectly and there's always room for improvement. But anyway, so flipped out 500 here for a profit of 837. And then I was out the remainder yesterday for a profit of 18.57. So overall, it was a pretty decent trade, 2600 $2,700 over a fairly short period of time. I didn't get around to annualizing it. My wife's always like, what's that thing you do? Like annualizing? Because I'll look at like, oh, you know, you make $1,000 today. Well, that's $250,000 a year. You make $100 a day. Well, that's $25,000 a year. So don't sneeze at small profits when you're, when you're offered them. Anyway, so that's to buy. Uh, do you get any questions on that before we get any further? Now, like I said, last week, in fact, I have it in, in the slide here. I woke up one day last week and wrote 20 things that I wish I'd have known 20-something years ago. And that has morphed over and over to things that I wish somebody would have told me. And if you if you know me, a lot of times in my presentations, nearly all my presentations, I, I tell you what, what you really need to hear. It's not always what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And the reason I do that is I put myself in the shoes of that struggling trader 20-something years ago, and I wish somebody would have told me all of these things. And each day or throughout the day, I find myself adding to them more and more and more. So I'm probably going to continue this on for a while. Anyway, those these are the original ones, and I'm going to cover a few of these tonight, and there's a few more that I added to it. The, long, the more I work on the presentation, the more and more come out. So those are those 20, if you want to screen capture those. If you go back to last week, I did touch upon all 20, but over the next few weeks, I want to flesh them out, or a few months, I want to flesh them out more and more, and again, there's things I really want to add to it. Now, market, markets go up and markets go down. You tell people this, and they look at you like you pooed your pants. But the thing is, as soon as the market starts going down, they begin to reason and rationalize why the market is not going up. And it's very hard for people to say what is. And once you get in a stock, you can't expect it to only move in your favor. And one thing I thought about last week is that if 
a market never went down, then there would not be a market. Everybody would be everybody would buy, everybody would be fully invested, and it no longer would be a market. Markets would no longer exist. So the the going down is actually occasionally healthy. Like right now, I'm 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 not glad in my own personal portfolio, but as a general statement, as a trader, I am glad that the market has pulled back. And that's shaking out some loose uh, loose hands, some uh, weak hands, uh, maybe loose fast and loose money is what I'm thinking about. And it can often clear the way for the market to go higher. Uh, the Johnny come lately is those who rush in to buy as the market is making new highs are usually the worst traders. They have very little staying power and they're out at the first signs of adversity. But once they get flushed out of the system, kind of like in a TKO move or just a generic pullback, then that can often clear the way for the market to trade trade higher. Excuse me. There's also a psychology in it, too, in that, number one, those that have got knocked out might look to rush right back in. And that could give the market a bit of a push. And number two, in something like a TKO type of move, that's when you have a wide range bar down after a market makes a recent new high. It's a, it's a form of pullback, but it's called a trend knockout. The eager shorts pile on, and, and I know there's some eager shorts piling onto this market. I don't spend a lot of time in any form other than my own, but every now and then I'll take a peek or something will get alerted to me on Facebook or whatever. And some guy said, um, what's a knob? Uh, what, no, I'm sorry, N-O-O-B, what is that? Is that, it's, that's not a newbie, is that an idiot or what's a knob? Does anybody know? Uh, just type it in a chat. But anyway, I'll have to Google it. <laughs> but uh, I said, you'd have to be a knob. OOB, I'm sure it's not favorable. Uh, a, a flattering comment if you're not shorting this market because the RS is greater than 80 or whatever the case may be, RSI, I guess. And I chimed in and said, well, buying oversold and selling overbought will work until it don't. So... Uh, he's kind of lulled into a false sense of security. And, and William Eckert has a really good quote on that. Things that feel good over the short term are disastrous longer term. And percentage rate could be, percentage win rate could be adversely related to longer term performance. And you can do really well over a short period of time with that type of trading. The problem is you end up with the, like the old commodity adage, eat like a bird and shit like an elephant. You have a few really, really big losses and that kind of wipes out everything it can be mentally uh demoralizing too knob equals newbie okay so you got to be a newbie irc what is irc john <laughs> i thought he meant like a newbie you know you'd have to be a total uh, idiot a total new new to trading idiot not to do this and i'm thinking there's no direct relationships that you're an idiot for not doing certain things unless it's something stupid like not honoring your stop or Things like that. Now, one thing I thought about uh, over New Year's Eve, I attended a party. I had two parties actually, but it, that's that's a whole uh, another story. Uh, but uh, there was a lady there that that I, I loaned her my book a while back, and she was like, uh, she was kind of freaking out because her retirement account was evaporating back in October. And I said, just read the first chapter of the layman's guide to trading stocks. And I talk a lot about how the fact that the market doesn't always go up and et cetera. 
And back in October, like I said, as things were coming unglued, I really worked. She was really worried about the market. I'm like, okay, read this chapter and understand a little bit about market timing. And then I saw her at the party, you know, what's that, uh, two months later? And she told me, my guy did a pretty good job last year. Well, gosh darn, he sure did. The market went up 20 something percent and your portfolio went up 20 something percent. Now you've forgotten, you've already forgotten that in October you were freaking out a little bit when this thing was imploded, imploding. Now I got out, okay, with the TFM 10% system and then I got back in. So the buy and hold types have beaten me in a market like this, and they will beat you unless the market occasionally goes down, which it does. So that's a little something that I know everybody here tonight understands, but I thought it was something to just kind of throw out there that the markets will lull you into a false sense of security that you should hold on. And years ago, I met somebody after the market had crashed or something, and, um, and he's like, I'm so glad I held on. I wish I'd have bought more. I'm thinking to myself, oh, the market is training you to be such a horrible trader. But I digress. Anyway, so market timing only works when the market doesn't snap right back. So when you get into an extended bear market, market timing works out really nicely because it gets you out the way for those diaper change moments, so to speak. Now, I would also argue, and I've made this argument quite a few times, if you go back to the pandemic, when the market imploded, and I think it dropped about 30% after the signal, don't quote me on that, it might have only been 28 or 25, but it was a lot, it was substantial. I had a friend of mine that wasn't sleeping at night, and fortunately for him, it all came back. I'm guessing he didn't sell, but eventually it won't come back. And also, if you get out of the market and you get out of the way, when things begin to come unglued a little bit, then you could sleep at night, then you could regroup. And when the time comes and the market starts going back up again, then you can get back in. As I preach nearly every week, as Greg Moore says, whipsaw is a frustrating bear market. It's a devastating. You can survive frustration. So again, market timing only works when the market doesn't come right back. So the other thing, obviously, is no one knows exactly what a market will do. And as I was going live, I have all these thoughts. And one of the thoughts was the more assured someone is, like this gentleman that said, you've got to be a knob if you're not doing this, the the worse trader they are or the or the fake, the more fake they are. Okay. So the guys with the Lambos and telling you how easy it is and all this other stuff, they're usually the ones that are they're mostly full of shit. And it's just, it's like, a, I'm going to digress a little bit here, but there was one firm that was always hyping themselves and telling you how smart they were. And oh, I'm a Mensa trader and I'm the smartest guy in the world. I'm the most profitable, blah, 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 blah. turns out they weren't. And they recently, not so recently, a couple of years back, they got sued for $121 million for bilking clients. But anyway, so the bottom line is I'm not going to get up here and tell you, I know what the market's going to do. I have an idea. I have, uh, what's, what's a good way to describe me? I'm often wrong, but never in doubt. So I'm very convinced in what I'm doing. And the other adage I would add to that would be strong opinions loosely held, okay? So yeah, I thought that IPO was the greatest IPO in IPO town, but guess what? I stopped out of it when the darn thing had that sharp reversal. But no one knows exactly what the market would do, not you, 
not me, and certainly not the guy who screams on TV. And again, the more <laughs> boisterous, is that a word? The louder they are, the more sure they are, the more wrong they are. There's actually an inverse account for this dude on X, and it's uh, it's pretty interesting. And you do just the opposite of what this guy that screams on TV says, you'll actually do okay longer term for sure. Anyway, markets are affected by supply and demand, okay? And that's what that that's that and only that is what makes a market. So when you boil it all down, there's either demand supply or supplies meeting demand and the market goes sideways. Now what could cause demand and what could cause supply? Well, these are just some examples, and there are thousands, okay? But people might have some money. Now, people, as a general statement, okay, when the pandemic hit in earnest, the government gave, especially young folk, a bunch of money, and the Robinhood accounts, which are known to cater to the smaller investors, the smaller, younger traders, those uh, their assets under management just absolutely ballooned. So you had these kids in college. Their rent is paid, especially the, the ones that are better off, but their rent is paid, their food is paid, they've got a part-time job in some cases, and then all of a sudden they're getting free money on top of that. And a lot of them started trading crypto and opened up Robinhood accounts, and they started doing stuff like piloting the GameStop and all of the other crazy stuff. Now that's on like a collective issue. It could be on an individual issue, somebody could inherit a little money or Somebody could, uh, a parent might give the child a little money to give it a shot or whatever. Who knows? But there are thousands of examples of people having money for some particular reason. And uh, Tom McClellan's mother, late mother Marion, once said, and I'm going to paraphrase, everybody uses timing in their investments. Some people buy when they have money. Some people sell when they need money. And others use more sophisticated methods. Now, so that would be like on an individual basis. And I often talk about, uh, and some of this comes directly from Trading Full Circle, but Trading Full Circle talk about Dick Fruth, who's running a few hundred million dollars. He's over in Houston. And he said when he first started, he was he's a little bit older, so people were still, um, do I have any certificates? I had, my old office had was like a, three or four times the size of my new office. And I had stock certificates all over the world. Well, they're really beautiful. You get them on eBay, really cheap. Uh, the, the canceled ones at least. But anyway, back in those days, people really didn't trust the brokerages. So they actually held shares at a safe and they would come in to sell them and they would actually hand the shares over. And the other guys in the office, curmudgeons, I think is the word uh, Dick described them as, they would just uh, snatch the shares out of their hands and write them a ticket, give them a check or whatever. I don't know how it worked back then, but you kind of get the idea. But um, Dick would chat him up a little bit and, hey, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting married. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting divorced or, or I'm buying a house. And all these different reasons as to why they were selling a stock. And I'll have to, I think it might be in his book, Parabolic Moves of Growth Stocks. I think that's, I don't have it handy, um, but anyway, it might, he might've talked about it in there a little bit. What I'm telling you here comes from a presentation he gave a few years back, 
But the bottom line is people would rarely, rarely, if ever, say some sort of reason why they were selling the stock that had something to do with the stock. So that gives me kind of like a great example about how it's it's people buying and selling of the stock or of the market that makes it go higher or lower, whatever the case may be, depending on supply and demand. And a lot of things can create supply and demand, many of which have absolutely nothing to do with the underlying market. Now, there could be some new technology, a promise of some new technology. And when I did my IPO course, uh, I was trying to come up with a name for it. And I said, well, basically these IPOs, especially with like a buy a D pattern early on, they take off because there's a promise of the future. There's some sort of technology that's gonna solve our problems or it's a really good fad type of thing where it's gonna be, oh, it's gonna be greatest restaurant ever or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times that supply will come onto the market when that technology becomes obsolete or they fail to fulfill and that initial excitement wears off. So that creates supply, obviously. Improving economy, it's the perception, and that's one thing that people have a hard time wrapping their head around, is the market is looking forward. In the middle of the pandemic, when we all thought we we're gonna die, and I nearly died from COVID, so I thought I was gonna die too. <laughs> you know, how this thing was taking the world out. Uh, I didn't nearly die. I ended up in the ER, though. So that's for me, that's close enough. Um, <laughs> it's a long story. But anyway, so right about that time, it was hard to believe that stocks would be a good investment. But the market looked ahead and said, well, we'll probably get through this pandemic thing and the market will probably be all right longer term and whatever. And then the market started going up. So the market is a discounting me mechanism and it's looking about six to eight months out. So this rally you just saw is not because things are fantastic today, but they might be much better in the future. At least that's what the market thinks. So that's one thing you have to wrap your head around too. And it could obviously be a worsening economy or a perception of a worsening economy and the market begins to sell off because supply is created. Government liquidity, again, like I said earlier, the government gave people a bunch of money, but in this case, I'm talking more about putting liquidity into the market, and sometimes the government takes liquidity out of the market, stepping on the gas, so to speak, or tapping the brakes. There could be institutional interests, and then there could be institutional dumping of stocks. And sometimes institutions are dumping when, when things are going well, they're looking to get out a little bit early, a little bit ahead of the curve. So these are just a few examples. Payroll comments from whatever, uh, somebody, analyst or whatever. We had a stock torpedo today, and I I couldn't find any news on it other than somebody said it was overvalued. <laughs> you know, whatever. Every momentum stock in the world is overvalued. That's what makes it a momentum stock. Or some kind of off-the-cuff remark, for instance, from the Fed, uh, irrational exuberance or whatever. Greenspan said that one time can cause a market to tank. So you got to realize that there's so many variables that go into the markets and markets go up and markets go down. But all these variables, especially like once you once you step into a market, everything is known when you're getting ready to get into a trade. But as soon as you get into the trade, then everything changes. OK, obviously, the future is different than the past. And a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around that.
Now, a lot of this reasoning about supply and demand might lead you to believe that A plus B equals C. If this and this, then this. If the RSI, like this gentleman said, is, is 81, then you need to short the market. Well, okay, that'll work until it don't. But A plus B does not equal C. And if it did, then that would be the holy grail, if you think about it. And the holy grail doesn't exist. And believe me, I've stayed up many nights and woke up very early, woken up very early, searching for that holy grail. And I haven't completely given up yet, but I know that there really isn't one. And I stopped looking for these complex things. And I look for simple things like the buy at B, the TFM 10% system, way back in the day, bow ties and TKOs and other patterns, such as first thrust and things like that, simple little patterns that I trade. But that's one of the problems that a lot of people have, especially newer to trading, is they try to connect the dots. And it just doesn't work in markets. Now, there are things that can give you an edge, okay, like, like trading the buy at B pattern or trading pullbacks and all. But believe me, once I step into that trade, I have no idea whether it's going to work or not. I think it'll work, like the Myra trade. I felt really good about that trade. I took that trade today. I thought it would work, and it worked out. The KNF, I thought it would work, LFMD. But there's been a few, and I forget about them quickly. It's not that I'm, I'm sweeping them under the rug. You could download the archives and look. But there's been a few since those winners that flat out didn't work, flat out losses. But it's like a shrug my shoulders and move on. Yeah, I'll drop an F-bomb, admittedly. I'm a pretty emotional guy. But I learned to move on quickly and focus on collecting as many winners as possible. It's uh, the uh, kind of like a stock collector, so to speak. But I'm willing to kick them out of the portfolio when they underperform. And I'll show you the crypto portfolio. I think I have a half, a half not a half a dozen, more than a dozen, a baker's dozen maybe, of free rolling positions. Like I got stopped out a couple of them, but so far so good. Okay, another thing that I wish somebody would have told me. Open private drawdowns suck, okay? And all trades eventually end badly. And these are two things that I will flesh out in upcoming weeks. Now, the thing, in addition to psychology, which they don't tell you about, there's also, at least early on, there's also a neurology to trading, which I only learned about, I, I keep saying it a while back. It's been 12 years, I think, since I first spoke at Golden Gate University, and uh, Denise Shaw was speaking then, and that's when I learned a little bit about neurology and sort of studied neurology. But one of the things I learned in the process is when you have a, a positive move in your favor, you feel pretty good about that, obviously. But when you have a negative move, against you even if it's up a dollar down a dollar it's twice as bad in your head and some of you guys i forget which one of you but one of you guys was saying uh, you've heard it's a uh, 10 times or more i've seen two to three times they've actually measured serotonin and uh, neurotransmitters and stuff like that in the brain for a, a positive event and a negative event and by the way one thing they don't tell you too is that an observation can give you these feelings too, okay? So if you sit there and watch a screen on a position that you're in and you watch it all day long, 
even if it ends up net net up on the day, you're watching all those negative ticks during the day and it can really wear you down. And that's one of the problems of hyperactivity when it comes to trading is you end up with so many more negative observations. And if you multiply those times two or by 10 or whatever the case may be, as opposed to a positive one, it's a really big deal and it adds up quickly and it takes a real big mental toll on you. Now here's going back to that CRGX trade. So there it is right there, 26.92 since, what's that, December 1st? Better the poker guy, okay? So that's a month and change, a month and two days, $2,600 on one stock. I did take this on multiple accounts. So I mean, I did okay on this one, all right? I'm not bragging, Just it's just something that we saw in the group, we took advantage of it, some of us at least, and uh, those who didn't, it's, I don't want to throw salt in the wounds, but I want to show you that, hey, we've got a good bunch in here, and we've got a lot of eyes looking at the screens to help us find these things, and that's my whole point there. But anyway, so I banked 2,692 in this one account, felt pretty good about that, but I'll tell you, a few days ago, when this thing was up at 29 and then imploded, that's a $5,500 loss to where I got out. Now, I know I let this thing draw down pretty hard against me. And I haven't quite solved for what do you do when it's when it's up so big. Sometimes I will let go of a few more shares. My general way of doing things is, obviously, I exit half of my shares when the IPT is hit, get my stop up to break even, and then slowly let that stop loosen over time for to be with the position for a long, long, long time. I don't adjust the stop intraday on a spike like that, but a 10-point spike, instead of sitting around getting all excited and feeling warm and fuzzy, maybe I should have banked a, a few more um, few more dollars. All right, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about crypto. I want to talk a little bit about dead money. And the reason that dead money came up was... I've been playing the relative strength game in crypto lately because it's been on fire and then it settled back in a little bit in more recent times. So it's not on fire like it was, but it was on fire for quite some time. And what I was doing was just buying and then flipping out and buying and flipping out. And the ultimate goal was still to establish free positions, so to speak. And I reached a point where I ran out of money in my accounts because I had so many positions on. And right about that time, somebody in Facebook was like, okay, Dave, how do you handle dead money? Well, dead money in stocks, we just see each position to its fruition. And I'd recommend you do the same thing in crypto with the only caveat that or exception is that if everything is going straight up and you feel like you're, this is where it gets dangerous, but if you know how to trade relative strength, you're just buying the strongest, you feel like you need to roll into a few, you might take profits or exit some of those dead money positions and then roll them into these other ones. Now, there's always a danger in doing that. And what I'm saying is only do that if everything is blowing and going. In stocks, it would take another 1999 for me to act like that. But for the most part, what I, well, my ultimate goal is, in getting back to what I said earlier, is to be a stock collector or a crypto collector and sit in those positions for hopefully a long, long time. Now, I'm still a trader and I'll still get out when they move against me and stop me out, but ideally I wanna establish positions and let them run. Now, 
when I was playing the RS game, this crypto was just really eating up a lot of my time. And one or two of you guys were talking about that. Like, geez, Dave, it does take a lot of time if you play this RS. But once you get your positions established, then you can just let them go. Now, let's talk a little bit about dead money. So here's one we, when I say we, I got in here. It was a newer coin or a token. I forget the difference between the two. It doesn't matter. And I got in here because it was going straight up, making all-time highs. Kind of like uh, akin to the buy at B, now that I'm looking at it. And by the way, maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud here, and this is why I love to teach and share, but maybe a buy at B type of strategy might work in these new coins, okay? So now make sure it's new to the market and not just new to a particular brokerage or whatever. But anyway, that little pop there in one day was 20%. There's the actual trades down there. This was um, in an account where I don't have a tremendous amount of money. So it wasn't a huge trade that was put on. And uh, those limit orders for the buy at least should be market orders. I made a mistake on those, obviously. So anyway, you sell 20% when you're, I'm sorry, you sell half when you're up 20%. I just be using a, a round number in crypto. Eventually, I'll probably have to work a little bit more with volatility like I do with stocks. If you look at the open portfolio or go back and look at some of those archives, you'll see in some cases, the stop is 15%. And in some cases, stop might be 30% based on the volatility of the stock, which means that your IPT would be... Uh, the same size accordingly. So if you're risking, let's say three points or 10%, then when you, you're ahead three points or 10%, you would take those uh, profits off. But anyway, you can see that this position became dead money by going sideways. Now, dead money has little or no chance of returning more on the investment. Well, that's another one of those things that you don't know because anything can happen, right? Good or bad. But anyway, it took off from there, it ran 206%. And you know, once again, it's become dead money. And right before I went live, I checked this one and out of my entire portfolio, this is the only one that seems to be re doing really well tonight. It was up 28%. We'll take a look at that in just one second. So it turns to dead money and then it's not dead yet money based on the action tonight. So here's one we got in, this is ICP again, when we're up 20%, which we were in one day. And by the way, you go back and look at some of these in early December or mid-December, that's when the market was really an RS market. It was kind of melting up. And you would just go in and buy these things that are going straight up. And if they're not going straight up, don't buy them. But anyway, you can see, so got the initial profit target out, uh, but it started to meander and then it took off again and went up 90% from there. And we'll check these in a live chart in just one second. All right, in fact, let's go ahead and do that now. Let's shift, shift over, let's uh, shift gears and let's hop into crypto. And if you guys wanna start talking about individual stocks, feel free to, to do so now. So let's get back to, let's get to crypto. So IIRC, if I recall correctly, all right, I'm gonna have to use that one. <laughs> you know, it's funny is once I learn something, I use it like I've known it forever. You know? <laughs> so late at night, I'll probably be like, IIRC. 
Thank you, John. John, you are a plethora of knowledge. All right, so here's my open portfolio, not SOL, but everything at green is a free roll. And you can see there's that ICP. Again, it was dead money here. It took off again. SEI, so far so good there, not dead money. Now, IMX, here's one that's dead money. Okay. Because we really hadn't made any forward progress in almost a month, right? Well, so what? Okay. Beto, we'll look at Beto in one second. We'll take a look at Bitcoin itself uh, first, okay? But I'm going to stick with this until I'm stopped out. We'll see what happens, okay? Here's another one. You could argue, well, this one's dead money. We got in back here somewhere, got the profit target out, and now it's dead money. Well, let's just see how it shakes out. ADA is another one, dead money, right? DOT, dead money. Rose, dead money. AVAX. Once again, dead money. TIA, not dead money, okay? It went up 29% today. And now it's up a little bit and after, not after hours trading, but after the market uh, rolled over. Here's another one that's dead money. And this one actually never did hit the IPT. So technically I probably should have gotten out of this one, okay? It did spike down and I survived the spike, but now it's just kind of meandering. I do have a hard stop in place now on that one sometimes i don't put a hard stop in right away which i know um which i know isn't always the most uh best practice okay but sometimes in crypto these things can spike and then i like to get my stop in after they spike a little bit so that's not again best practice if you do earn a trading i would recommend you do that but if you're trading at a very small size and you will get out the way eventually that it's okay to to ride out a few of these little uh, spike type of moves. So this one is another one that I have a stop in place on. Got it in here, my stop is here. This is now a hard stop, okay? And it's doing okay. It's I'm in the black, but not enough to brag about for sure. Uh, here's one that hit the IPT. I do have a hard stop in place on this one. And so far it's dead money. So not very impressive for the portfolio, although that one TIA did take off a little bit. So that's so far so good. And this one's dead money too, but it's hanging in there. So all of these are free rolls, everything at green at least. And these two purple ones too. These two purple ones have hard stops. That's why I've got them in purple. But the idea is to eventually catch one of these, like for instance, the TIA, okay? You get in here at three bucks a share and now it's 15. So what is that, 500%? Something like that. <laughs> John says that means a lot. I said that he has a plethora of information. That means a lot. Very good. All right, let's take a look at Bitcoin. So the question is, is Beto dead money? We'll take a look at Beto. Well, Beto is the futures representation of Bitcoin. Uh, it, it's a derivative based on futures, okay? So it's a derivative of a derivative. I would prefer to trade outright Bitcoin in that particular case. Now I do, let me let me rewind that a little bit. I will trade Beto on an intraday basis, but I won't hold it because of, I don't know if contango is the right word, but basically futures tend to have a bit of a decay to them because today's, let's say Thursday's future price, let's say today 
is based on, let's say, three months ago. Well, when a day passes, then it's based on the price one day less than three months, okay, 89 days away, and that continues to change. So what, what ends up happening as a general statement is you end up with a bit of this decay, so to speak, in price. So if you were to buy futures in any market and keep rolling them, keep rolling them, keep rolling them, eventually it would you probably would go to zero because you'd lose a little bit of money every time. Yeah, every now and then you catch a trend and you do okay with that. But for the most part, you're fighting this longer term type of decay. So I wouldn't hold the futures-based contract, futures-based ETF, like those VIX ETFs, they're based on futures. Don't hold them more than one day. As a general statement. So um, to rephrase the question, and we'll pull up Beto too, but is Beto dead money? Is Bitcoin dead money? Yeah, Bitcoin is dead money right now. But it might just be consolidating. What's uh, what's a weekly chart look like on Bitcoin? Well, look at that. That's not dead money. That looks good to me, okay? So, so far, so good. I'm generally bullish on crypto, especially Bitcoin, obviously. Not so much the shit coins, but when the shit coins are running, you can make a lot of money, four or five hundred percent in these things, like something like TIA. Keep in mind, I'm not betting the farm. We uh, watch BitCond, I think was the name of the show a couple nights ago. It's pretty interesting, uh, kind of a documentary type of show about these guys that uh, pulled off a total scam. And, and you know, in the middle of the show, my wife's saying, are, are you? Do you know enough to not get caught in these scams? And it's, I tried to explain markets to her. Then she basically uh, told me to shut up so she could watch the movie. So it's like, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I understand that. Uh, and that's why I, I, I don't call them altcoins. Whenever I do a stock charts presentation, I have to be careful because they like to keep it uh, PG or PG. Uh, but anyway, I call them shit coins because most of these things will go to zero, okay? I'm not going to make an argument or a case that these are the greatest thing in the world. A lot of these things are crap, but with proper money management and taking partial profits and stopping out, hopefully, and there's no guarantee, right? But hopefully I can stick with these things while they're trending and get out of them before they get into a lot of trouble. And as I often say, the 30 EMA is a good could be a, a good little indicator, so to speak, to keep you out of trouble. Don't buy anything unless it's above the 30 EMA. And when it drops below it, you might want to think about getting out, okay? So I'm just kind of going through these sorted by uh, price change, which is not going to probably do anything tonight, but uh, by negative price change, just to kind of show you what the EMA looks like. But as you go through these, you see like, look how, look at this run these things have made above that EMA, okay? And that's what that, that's what that I flipped out of for whatever reason, but it looks like it'd be pretty, uh, be a pretty decent trade if I was still in it, right? But as the market begins to weaken, you have to have some sort of performance-based metric to get you out of the way. And I'm trying to find uh, one of these that's really looking crappy for a while. And I, I can't seem to find it. So they're they're in general doing pretty good. But if you have a performance-based metric like the 30 EMA, that can help to keep you out of trouble. Well, I guess we can go back to like Bitcoin or something. 
All right, let's just do that real quick. And we'll talk about a little bit about relative strength, and then we'll hop out to the uh, stock charts. All right, so Bitcoin. Uh, okay, here you go. 30 EMA. Look at this thing just absolutely imploded. Peeped up above it, but there was no Landry light. This thing just absolutely imploded. In fact, let's do this just real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll hop into stocks. Let's take a look at BTC with the 30 EMA. Okay, so let's back this chart way out. Okay, so look at all this red Landry light back here. This thing was at 4,000, 40,000. And for the most part, it was mostly red. It imploded down to, it lost over half of its value, okay? And notice that it was red or mostly red during the whole trip down. So if you didn't know anything about trading, just look at the Landry light. And if it's green, you want to work and try to be long. And if it's red, you want to be short or out of the market. Now, this isn't to say that some of those shit coins aren't going to zero, but in general, things begin to deteriorate enough to that any, any trader who's self-respecting trader will get out of the way when things begin to worsen and there's no longer a trend in place i'm not saying dead money but when it's going sideways that's okay like bitcoin has been doing for a while let's say you got a bitcoin way back here whatever it's going sideways so what but if it comes way down here well below that 30 and it's no longer trending higher then you need to think about getting out of the way so my thinking is these shit coins will turn down and worsen and i will get out of the way and that's very hard to explain to someone without hitting pause all right, let's hop into stocks. And I just want to, let me just, we'll take a look at Beto real quick and then we'll um, we'll take a look at the, the market. We'll take a look at some sector action and then go ahead and um, ask about uh, individual issues now and I'll get to them. So anyway, Beto is Beto dead money. Uh, again, take a look at Bitcoin, but Beto is based on futures. So it's, it's just kind of chopping around it here, but so far the trend is up. So I wouldn't call it down and out just yet. S&P 500 uh, has been pulling back as of late. I think that's a good thing. I think it's good that it's shaking some people out. It's painful, obviously. Um, some of these stocks have really, like LFMD, we got whacked on that one today. We, we Overall, we made money on it, but we got whacked pretty hard, obviously. But so far, this looks pretty good. And the market has to go down so it could go back up if that makes any sense. Take a look at the NASDAQ, getting whacked a little bit harder. Obviously you wanna see the NASDAQ stop at some point. So NASDAQ's a little bit more questionable, but so far it still looks pretty good for the most part. Let's take a look at the Rusty. Rusty 2000, so far it's just pulling back based on this last trend, but as I've been saying at nauseam, it's got its work cut out for it. So I'd like to see it get back up to these multi-year highs and then push through some of this fluff. Energies have been looking kind of toppy, but toppy and choppy. And today, notwithstanding, they've, they've been working their way higher, but they're kind of all over the place. So wait to see if they can break out to new highs before pulling back. John, I like that stock, but I think it's thin. We'll take a look at that in just one second. I was looking at it earlier. 
So a lot of areas kind of look like the market itself. There's the financials. You can see nice, nice uptrend so far, just pulling back in here. Some of these areas, take a look at drugs. Drugs are at all-time highs, okay? They had a bit of a spill not that long ago, but now they're working their way higher. So on pullbacks, we should see some setups there. Biotechnology is bringing up the rear. It's got a ways to go to get to all-time highs, little ways, not too far. But so far, so good for the biotechs. And then you can just go through sector after sector. Most looking okay. There's health services. Defense just made all-time highs, pulling back a little bit in here. Manufacturing, same sort of action going on at 2MNC, which is materials construction, aka the home builders, also doing pretty good in here as a general statement. And now they're beginning to pull back. So we could see some setups here fairly soon. I saw one earlier tonight in the process of setting up. Software, so far, just pulling back. Looking pretty darn good. It actually made it to all-time highs. I would have preferred, obviously, if it had made it past this prior peak decisively, but for the most part, looking pretty good. Semiconductors, looking a little questionable. They're, they're pulled back almost all the way to where they broke it out from. This is good, at least if they stop right around here. This is good because that's obviously shaking out a lot of people. And if it comes all the way back in past the breakout, then all bets are off. So that would have me a little concerned. But for now, I think the semi still look okay. Let's take a look at bonds real quick, and then we'll go ahead and start looking at your stock picks. Bonds have been working their way higher, and they've pulled back. They look pretty good if you're just looking, looking at this, okay? This run here followed by this. Unfortunately, bonds have a lot of overhead supply, so this is a bit of a bummer. Bonds up, as you know, rates down, okay? So bonds have their work cut out for them, but they did have a pretty good run down here from the lows. So that was a pretty decent drop in rates or spike in bonds, however you want to look at it. All right, let's take a look at uh, individual stocks, unless there's any questions about the market. But so far, so good with the market. Okay, I was thinking of another one, John. Yeah, this one looks pretty good. Um, I don't know if it made the land your list or not tonight, but it's definitely in my momentum list. I'm getting this one confused with an IPO. This looks pretty good. Uh, good eye on that. High five, okay? You've got some acceleration. You've got some persistency happening. Longer term. It's a little crazy longer term, but we're up here in clear air. So the personality has changed in this stock. And by the way, think about this. The players that are back here are probably no longer uh, in this stock. And now, I mean, ideally, you want a stock to be kind of trade cleanly throughout its life, but it's lifetime. But what happens is you've got players coming and going, and now it looks like the momentum people are liking this stock. But I like it a lot. I'd like to see a little bit more pullback. I, don't, I think you'd be okay trading it, maybe like uh, 46, 47, and then pretty liberal stop somewhere down here, almost 10 points, really. HV is fairly high. It's fairly volatile. It's had a pretty good run, 20 to. 50, what's that, 150%, if I'm doing the math in my head right. So I like that one a lot. It's on the minimum list, and I don't know if it's on the Landry list or not, but it will be soon if it pulls back anymore. Landry list is the list I publish to my clients every night for those. Fold, is that F-O-L-D? Okay, the question is, a gap a while back. The only thing I don't, yeah, yeah, that would turn me off, okay, even though that's a long time ago. The other thing, too, Keith, it's kind of an electrocardiogram. Remember that other one we were just looking at? It was electrocardiogram way back in time, but then it got its act together. And this one might be getting its act together, but notice it's still just another up and down and up and down, and now it's up, okay? So I think there's 
with the market looking like it's looking now, I mean, you just pull up like software, okay, or all the other ones we talked about earlier, semiconductors, you know, just kind of take it off and then pull back deeply in here. So with the market looking that great, there's no need to go after a stock that looks like this, especially with longer term issues. So I would leave that alone for sure. APGE thin, let's take a look at that. APGE. Yeah, this one I like. I don't know if that's the one I was thinking about. It was a little bit on the thin side. It needs more knockout, but yeah, it, here's what's going for this one, John, which you probably already know. You've got acceleration. You've got persistency. It's an IPO. It's just off of all-time highs. The volume's a little bit on the thin side on this guy, only 161,000. 312 on average is decent volume. I, you know, it's weird, and I've said this a thousand times, but in case anybody is new here tonight, years ago, 100,000 shares a day seemed to be plenty enough volume, but in more recent times, it seems like you need a lot of volume to avoid uh, dealing with big spreads or whatever. I don't know what's changed in the market, but something's changed. And I just, I, I'm an empirical guy. I just, empirical research, do a lot of that, just look at charts. And I've learned that you need more volume in, in more recent times. But volume is adequate, I'd say. But a little bit more deeper pullback on that, but that looks good. So high five on that one. RYTM pullback to the 30-day RYTM. Oh, okay, cool. So if we added a 30 EMA, 30. And we'll make it exponential. Yeah, almost almost to the 30. Okay. So that's a that's a Landry light pullback when you have lots and lots of Landry light and then it pulls back to that 30 EMA. That's a great little pattern if I say so myself. So yeah, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Still like a little deeper pullback, but I hear you. I really hear you. Cure for Jim. Yeah, cure. This is uh is this an ETF? Yeah, okay, so this is another one of these things. Anything that's leveraged, especially adverse leverage, you don't want to hold longer term. So I hear you. This is doing okay. It tends to be wide and loose, though. And the leverage kind of gives you a lot of trouble with these things. Uh, it creates kind of a decay situation. I wouldn't hold it longer term. Maybe an intraday trade. It's also a little thin. For an ETF, that's probably okay. But I think you could probably find something better out there to trade. Uh, Jim, but I hear you. It's headed higher for now. A little too wide and loose. What's the uh, like Lab U maybe and Lab D might be better trading vehicles. Okay, so you can see Lab U pretty good running here. Let's pull back a little bit on an intraday basis. I think a couple days ago in this opening gap reversal, I may have played that Lab U. Lab D would be the insert, uh, the insert, the inverse, obviously. But you can see pretty good trend here for the most part, but even still, you don't want to hold these overnight. All right, anything else, any more? Got it, oh, good job, all right, fantastic. Well, obviously, I want to thank everyone, while we're in impasse, I want to thank everybody for attending tonight. Let me just double check, see if there's anybody um, over in YouTube waiting for an answer. Nope, so far, so good over there. Okay. Well, obviously, I want to thank all you guys for attending tonight. If you have any unanswered questions, you can shoot me an email at davidavelandry 
Facebook.com. Leave a comment below if you're watching on YouTube. I do read and answer all comments, believe it or not. Everybody have a great weekend. To everybody who's here live, uh, most of you guys and girls are in Facebook, so I'll see you guys tomorrow. So everybody have a great weekend, and may the trend be with you. Thank you. You're welcome.